Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to feel, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed Hour 1, you can get it as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Okay, so I hear from some of you, and it may just be my iPhone people, I don't know, that the um, logo for the Faith Radio app changed on your phone. So the Faith Radio logo on my um, Android has not changed and so still looks like the old-fashioned one. But we do have a new logo, some new branding at Faith Radio. You can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. You'll see it there. Um, and so if your, if your logo, if the little logo, the little icon for your app has changed, it doesn't mean that the content has changed. The content is the same. You can still find all of us, Susie Larson and Bill Arnold and, you know, all, 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 all the good listening um, at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. It might look a little different, but um, still the great same, still the same great things. All right. Sometimes I just uh, feel like somebody else has said it so well. Why try to come up with a different way of saying it? So you guys know I like Jim Dennison. And so at the DennisonForum.org today... Um, there is the, you know, like the daily update on the current events section. And Jim Dennison wrote it in such a way that I thought to myself, I can't do any better. So I'm just going to share portions of what um, Jim Dennison has said, because I think that what he's talking about here in terms of what's going on in the culture related to life, pro-life news, and um, and the advocacy of those who would like to um, see abortion available in all places by all manners at no cost at any time on and on and on. He does a really great job framing it. So I'm just going to read a portion of it to you. Um, first of all, he brings this item of news out of uh, Carmel, Indiana, the safe haven baby box. Remember those conversations that we've had here about the safe haven baby box? Well, the safe haven baby box at a firehouse in Carmel, Indiana has re- received Three babies so far this year. Three more infants have been left at other baby box locations throughout the state. Indiana is one of more than 12 states that now have laws allowing baby boxes or expanded safe haven options for adoption. So I want to encourage that and celebrate that. Um, And then he goes on to talk about four strategies we're seeing in the culture for promoting abortion. He talks about um, the ways in which some people are responding to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, Some of these have become, you know, persuasive. And it's good to know what the culture is talking about and how the culture is talking about things so that we can be more fully equipped for the conversation. So here are four strategies being used to promote abortion in the culture today. One is advocating for medication abortion. The New York Times published an article on Monday highlighting women who are, quote, self-managing their abortions. You might think of it as a do-it-yourself abortion, um, but it is early in the pregnancy. And so we're talking here about a chemical abortion, a way of 
um, killing and then dispelling the baby um, through the taking of drugs. So seeking out the necessary know-how online and obtaining the medication um, without the supervision of a clinic or a doctor. So that has been highlighted in the New York Times. Um, the second thing that Jim Dennison points out in terms of strategies for promoting abortion in the culture is gaslighting. Now, that's, that's manipulation that sows doubt or confusion, making false claims that, let's say, doctors in states with abortion restrictions are now not allowed to end a pregnancy to save a mother's life, not allowed to intervene when there's an eptopic pregnancy, uh, those kinds of things. So those um, you need to know. You need to know when false information is being shared um, to scare people into supporting abortion. Abortion boat clinics are um, on the rise. A California doctor is seeking to raise $20 million for a floating abortion clinic in the Gulf of Mexico um, because, you know, that person is concerned that people in the states surrounding the Gulf of Mexico are not going to have access to abortion in the state. So she wants to offer those abortions um, afloat. There's also... um, Uh, these alleged religious justifications that you're going to hear for abortion. Whoopi Goldberg, by the way, not um, somebody who you should be trusting uh, as a theological authority, but here you go. Whoopi Goldberg recently claimed on The View that, quote, God gave women the freedom of choice. God made women smart enough to know when it wasn't going to work for us. Um, That's the beauty of giving us the freedom of choice, uh, Whoopi Goldberg said. She added that she does not judge people who have had an abortion because she was taught, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, that is the golden rule, and that is in the Bible. Um, but this is a good example of uh, handling the scriptures well, understanding what the full scope of scripture says, and who God is as the creator, the author of life, and the one who has authority over all things. Okay, some of that's my commentary and not what Jim Dennison said. He goes on to say there's three strategies um, for promoting life being used right now um, that we ought to all point to and learn how to use ourselves. Um, one is citing non-religious arguments for life. One is recatechizing the culture. And the third is decreasing the demand for abortion. So to read all of that, you can visit denisonforum.org. Um, something's going on in Georgia um, that we want to talk with um, Justin Gibney about, who is an attorney in Georgia. Un- un- unborn children in Georgia now are eligible for a $3,000 income tax exemption. Well, their moms are. So when a fetal heartbeat can be... De- can be detected about six weeks into pregnancy. The unborn child now qualifies as a dependent minor. Yeah, we're going to talk about that next with Justin Gibney from the Ann Campaign. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Justin Gibney is back. He serves with the AND Campaign. You can find him and lots of resources at andcampaign.org. Justin, good morning. Hey, Carmen. How's it going? Oh, well, you know, it's um, it's hot where I live. It's probably hot where you live, too. But, you know, it's summer, so there you go. That's right. That's, yeah. Georgia has recognized an unborn child, the unborn child, as a dependent for tax purposes. Can you brief us in on this? Yeah. So in Georgia, as part of their fetal uh, heartbeat bill, which was challenged by the court, but upheld in the court, uh, basically a woman whose fetus has a detectable heartbeat uh, can take a personal tax exemption in the amount of three thousand dollars 
for each uh, for each fetus. Um, and so I would say the administration of this isn't going to be easy, but the Georgia Department of Revenue is going to put out further guidance to tell people exactly how, you know, exactly how this goes. Um, you know, how a woman who's having, having complications or has lost a child fits into this um, into this bill. Mm. Mm. Right. Because that that is certainly a challenge. But having the resources to um, to carry a baby and um, and then to have a baby. I mean, I think this is a wonderful pro-life expression that, you know, we do believe that that is a real life. That is a real person. And um, and supporting uh, supporting these families um, through the tax code, I, I think is genius. I think this is a good um, a good way to support life. Um, we have this related story about California Governor Newsom targeting Georgia. What's going on there? Well, Governor Newsom very plainly is is wants to run for president, and so this he's been going on this nationwide uh, tour, uh, calling out other states and and doing all this stuff uh, because he wants to be you know considered for running for president if Biden doesn't run. And it's unfortunate because if you look at what's going on in California from the housing crisis there, I mean, poor people can't even live in any of the cities uh, in big cities in California. Uh, if you look at the uh, the income disparities in California, if you look at the crime, you would think that he has enough uh, to be doing at home than to be kind of running around and, and trying to get, you know, in other states business. So it's one of those things where he's decided to become, you know, a culture warrior for the left. He wants to he wants to be the one they see as getting revenge and calling out others for their um, the crimes of, you know, taking down progressive sacred calves. So that's what he's trying to do. It's a game that's not new, but it's one that we should all recognize. I'm glad you brought up the um, the conversation about the culture war. I'm I'm hearing increased uh, conversation or chatter that, you know, maybe this is the year or maybe these are the years in which um, uh, the Democratic Party has a stronger culture case to make as a, you know, as a large percentage of Americans do support abortion and a large uh, percentage of Americans or some percentage uh, of Americans that's a plurality for sure, um, it, it you know, want increased restrictions related to um, guns. Um, so when we have the quote-unquote culture war conversation, do you see it shifting from Republicans, um, you know, who have traditionally held ground there to Democrats holding or having a stronger position? It could. I think it depends. Um, it depends on how pro-life people and how, you know, Christians and others in general present their case. And this is one of the reasons that I said from the beginning that even with Roe being overturned, which I support, I thought the triumphalism was a little premature. I thought in some instances the triumphalism was irresponsible. There's still a case that has to be made on a state level. There's still a cultural case that has to be made. And we can never feel like a court decision takes away our obligation to make a cultural case and to persuade people to do the right thing. Um, and so, yes, there could be, you know, when you talk about the culture war, I try to look at things outside of that culture war because I think the incentives inside the culture war aren't really about people. And many times aren't necessarily just about policy. They're about winning. And Christians have to go about politics and, and public engagement in a different way. Yeah. And support like local crisis pregnancy centers, know what resources they have, know how to um, help 
uh, women get there and help them see that, hey, you really you can do this. The resources exist in your community um, to have your baby. Um, and if you want to, to raise your baby. And if you don't want to, the resources exist in your community um, to help you place that child in a family of your choosing. It's just incredible um, what is available in the culture today that people are not aware of. We're talking with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. We come back, he and I are going to um, lift up this conversation um, from the University of North Carolina, where the Studi Body president has defunded all pro-life groups on campus. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Talking with Justin Gibney. Um, Justin, you went to uh, college. You went to law school. Um, I'm guessing that everyone along the course of your path did not hold exactly the same views that you hold. And it's possible that you were in um, student organizations that, you know, everybody didn't uh, agree with. Um, Talk with us about what's going on on the campus of the University of North Carolina, where the student body president has unilaterally defunded pro-life groups. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's not even I mean, that particular move is specific to UNC, but it's it's something that's going on 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 campuses that's really disturbing. You know, in my opinion, Carmen, going to college and uh, going into higher education is about the exchange of ideas. It's about understanding where people are coming from. And you can't do that without a level of ideological diversity, even on. And here's the thing. People people think that's true to some extent, but only on certain issues. But I would disagree. I think even on life or death issues, even on these major issues, it's about an exchange of ideas. It's about hearing other people out and strengthening your argument by knowing the other side. So so to silence groups that hold a position that many Americans hold on campus is, I think, a stain on that university. And, and, And it's really unfortunate. But it's something that is the kind of illiberalism that we see, unfortunately, uh, in our universities and you know, students have to be brave enough to speak up, to speak against it and to protect the speech and the positions of people that disagree with you as well. So I want to talk with you about um, this piece that uh, that is posted at redeemingbabylon.org. It says, Justin Gibney, how both political parties fail urban Christians. So, Justin Gibney, How is it that both political parties fail urban Christians? First of all, how are we defining urban Christian? Yeah, I mean, I I think in that conversation, I was primarily talking about um, African-Americans. I I think there are urban Christians who aren't African-Americans. So you can talk about black or brown or just people in a certain demographic or a certain area. Um, But but the, 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 
what I was basically saying is, especially for people coming from the traditional black church, neither party clearly represents where we come from. I think when you look at conservatives and traditionally pushing back against some racial justice uh, issues, pushing back against uh, some civil rights positions, and even in the even in the conversation about some of the things Trump did, it's not a, a perspective that many of us connect with. But that doesn't mean that that Democrats get it all right either. I think when it comes to social issues, cultural issues, uh, the sanctity of life and things of that nature, there's been kind of a erasing of the black Christian witness uh, to kind of replace it with a more secular witness. But what but what's been happening is you get people who look like a certain demographic or look like our demographic but don't really hold our values or at least don't apply them as they vote on some of the issues that we may disagree with progressives on when it comes to culture. So how can, I mean, I'm not an urban Christian, like by any definition, because I literally live in the country um, and I would, you know, I'm, and I'm not black or brown. So if we're going to use um, some of those categories or definitions to to express this how can i as a um i'm not even a suburban christian i'm a rural christian how can i as a rural white southern christian like that just sounds bad as i as it comes out of my mouth but that's who i am um how can i support the conversation that needs to be had um within my own spheres of influence related to this like it, it it seems like even such like an odd thing to bring up and yet if i don't bring it up in um in white rural christian circles it's not going to emerge anywhere else yeah one of the things one of the the tactics that i see people use is just presenting christians with other perspectives mm. other perspectives that come from orthodox christians to say hey this is how many Folks, we're around see this issue, but do we see this issue purely from a biblical standpoint or is there culture that's involved in that? Here are some other biblical Christians from a different context that interpret this or apply scripture to this in a different way or come to a different conclusion. Can we look at that and say, have the humility to say, well, we have blind spots. Maybe they do approach it in a better way. And I don't I don't think that should just happen with uh, white rural Christians. I think that should happen with black urban Christians and all of us. Uh, we all have blind spots. We all are bringing something from our context, but there's only one truth and none of us have a monopoly on it. We should be searching for it and making sure that we're taking all our opinions through biblical scrutiny. Okay. Now let's have a really important conversation because I think that the SEC is potentially going to have its first football game here um, in short order. Like it's only a couple of weeks away. So because you played football um, at Vanderbilt, I need to ask you, what is a safety? Because that's the position that you played. And I don't even that sounds like a great job for a Christian to have on the mm -hmm. football field. I would agree. I think I think the safety spot is the most Christian of the positions on the football. Totally field. right. <laughs> totally. Right. I mean, that yeah, or the, the center. I don't know. Maybe because of the center, I could make a good. Christian argument for the center. But the you safety, man. Right. Right. I mean, the safety is basically the last line of defense. Right. So on the defense, the, the guy who's usually the furthest back uh, is the safety. So if all else fails, uh, you got the safety that's coming up and trying to make a play. 
Okay, and it's a it's an offensive position. It's a defensive it's position. Defense. It's a defense. <gasps> so you're gonna you're the last line of defense in terms of stopping the advance of the enemy. There you go. I like it. I there like it. Go. All right, Justin Giboney, our resident safety here on Mornings with Carmen. It's gonna be your new. That's gonna be your new title here. <laughs> I think. I love it. Hey, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. It's always a refreshing conversation. You bring a perspective that we don't um, necessarily hear every day in our conversations where we live, in the spheres of influence where we operate. So um, thank you so much. Always. Take care, Carmen. Yeah. All right. So what is John Stone Street up to at Breakpoint? Um, Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, he is from the Colson Center, and he is always bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day. And that's what he's going to do right now. Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul What's the worst thing you've ever done? If you've just joined us, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge uh, on the Faith Radio Network. And we talk about real issues facing real people in real life and uh, and how God can redeem anyone. So what's the worst thing you've ever done? Were you found out? Is it known? What would your life be like if the worst thing you've ever done is the thing you were known for? What would your life be like if the worst Thing you'd ever done is the thing that you were known for. What are you known for? Well, on July the 25th, 2018, the Associated Press reported this. A northern Indiana woman has been sentenced to prison after pleading guilty related to the death of her son, who was delivered in a dorm room bathtub. The Wabash Plain Dealer reports that uh, 24-year-old Michaela Nunn of Elkhart was sentenced Tuesday to 12 years in prison, three years suspended to formal probation. She pleaded guilty to neglect of a dependent in the death of uh, her son. Her lawyer um, said that Munn accepts responsibility for her actions. The former Manchester University student gave birth in the bathtub of her dorm room in March of 2016. She joins us next. talked with Linda Zanaco before um, from the Ministry of He Knows Your Name and the Safe Haven Baby Boxes. She joins us again and she brings her friend, Michaela Munn. Linda and Michaela, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen, for having us. It's, yeah, it's great to be with you again. Yeah, thank you. So, Linda, let's actually start with you because um, this story maybe would have been told to us differently if you'd never met Michaela. So tell us the part of this story um, before you meet Michaela in terms of um, your relationship to the storyline. Sure. So I I got connected with the story um, after it hit the news and um, the sentencing had happened. And so the baby was released that um, passed away. 
And the baby's dad contacted me and said, you know, would you help me with this baby's funeral? And I, I said, of course I will. And so I went to Elkhart, Indiana and took a lot of resources with me and celebrated the life of Alexander Liam and met a lot of the people connected to the story and the family. And after that, I just, I mean, really thought that that was over. And two years later or so, um, I got an email from someone who is a mutual, well, friend of Michaela's I had never met before. And he told me Michaela wanted to connect with me because she knew that I had officiated the funeral of her son and she didn't attend that funeral because she was in prison. And, and so I was, you know, like, okay, God, what do you have for me in this? And um, Michaela and I entered in very gently together and started emailing one another. And after about a year of emails, I think I've said to Michaela, I think she sent me 70 emails in a year. I really got to know her and her heart and just see how redemptive God had been so faithful to her while she was in prison. And her story is absolutely remarkable. And I believed her and I really wanted to um, help her use her voice because her desire was that no other mother would sit where she's sitting and have had the, um, the crisis of an unwanted pregnancy that then ended so tragically and she wants to use her voice. And I said, I want to help you use your voice because of the work I do to advocate for unwanted abandoned babies. The crisis is happening all over this country. And of course, because of my collaborative relationship with Safe Haven Baby Box, I knew that her voice would be extremely important. And we just started to develop her voice. And um, we did a story with Fox 59 while she was in prison. And um, that story was what really connected us because number one, I first got to, it's the first time we got, I got to see her, but um, we had not met in person until that story had been used to be the, the catapult for like getting her a modification hearing to consider reducing her sentence. And when we met face-to-face in that courtroom on April 21st, everything changed for her. And I'd love for her to tell you that part of the story. Yeah, Michaela, um, first of all, welcome. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. And let me begin by saying we stand on equal footing um, as people made in the image of God, stand on equal footing as sinners kneeling at the cross and stand on equal footing as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to hear me say that because I know that um, there are people who want you to be known for the worst moment in your life. And I am celebrating that um, you are known as a woman redeemed in, in Christ Jesus by God. And so thank you so much for, um, for joining us today. Uh, tell us your story. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, my story begins before my son was even born, uh, I had a sexual assault that went unreported that was not related to my son's conception. And I started drinking really heavily because I felt disgusting. I felt alone. I felt isolated. And I didn't really know how to voice how I felt. Um, I was always the one that people would go to when they needed help. And I just couldn't seem to tell anybody that I was struggling. So I was hiding my addiction from uh, alcohol and pills. Um, one minute I was sober, the next minute I wasn't. And depending on which one you asked, I knew I was pregnant or I didn't know. And I was just so broken and so alone. 
And when I gave birth to my son in my dorm room by myself that day, that was like rock bottom for me. Um, I was laughing. I was crying. I was having all these emotions happen to me at once. And I just, I can't remember what happened that day. The only thing that I do remember is what's in the papers that they gave me for my discovery. And I didn't have access to those until like maybe two or three weeks after I was arrested. And I was at that point, I was in a suicide cell. So I was isolated and by myself. And I never felt so low in my entire life. And I felt like I could not escape where I was. I felt like the darkness was basically suffocating me. And I read through those papers and I knew what I did was wrong. And I acknowledged what I did was wrong. And I own my responsibility. But when I made those internet searches, safe haven wouldn't have popped up. None of the safe haven hotlines would have popped up. Um, so there was no way. And I was scared. I didn't really know what to do, but I realized that I didn't want to be that woman anymore. And mm. I knew God existed. I just didn't have that rock solid foundation and that relationship with him, but other people in my life did. So I started crying out to God. I said, if you are real, then I really need you because I don't want to be her anymore. I was tired of being scared. I was tired of feeling the way that I felt. So I cried out to him and in the suicide cell, the light is on 24 hours and there's a cross that came into the light. And I said, oh my gosh, he's here somewhere. He's got to be. Mm. And that was the first time I fell asleep. And I felt like somebody was holding me and letting me know that everything was going to be okay. Mm. Um, while Michaela was, um, was in prison, um, Alexander Liam was laid to rest in a burial that was arranged by, um, by others, including Linda, who we're talking with now, who runs the ministry. He knows your name. If you missed that conversation um, that we had with Linda on a prior occasion, I'll post it in the notes um, for this show today. Um, and, and Linda, I want you to, um, to talk about why you do that. Why, why, dignify the life of a person who really never, never lived. I mean, he didn't live long. He lived for nine months and then he lived for minutes, but he didn't, he didn't have a life. So how do you celebrate that life? Because I think that's important for people to understand as well. Yeah. I, I mean, God just really called me in 2009 to rise up to the information I had gotten after hearing the news about a baby found in a dumpster that our city and state just puts that baby, I was told from the coroner's office in a pauper's grave. And I was so appalled that that was the reason, that's how we answered that need. And I thought, no, this is an injustice. And once I heard that, I felt responsible to do something about it. And I have claimed or celebrated the lives of 37 babies and officiated the funerals of every single one of them in 13 years, because I am convicted and compelled and compassionate that every child of God deserves to be known by a name and celebrated in life and in death. And I've just been on a mission to do that. And um, it, it's just amazing to me how many people then come around to me and say, would you help me with this? Like Alexander Liam's father did. 
And of course, I mean, I just say yes. Like I want to say yes to God every single time he invites me into the sacred because I believe that the holy of holies is at the grave. Because, you know, Carmen, we all know, like the greatest miracle was performed there. And so I do not fear it. And I stand the grave and I see sacred moments happen that I believe is like where Jesus meets us because we know from Mark nine, how he called the little ones to himself. And he didn't just say, Oh, come to me. He said, get on my lap. And then not just get on my lap, but let me now throw my arms around you. And then like, not just throw my arms around you to show you, I love you and you're safe. And I want to comfort you, but now I'm going to bless you. And I want to be around those little ones because they were so close to Jesus. And so it, it just builds my faith and it gives me passion to keep moving forward, to celebrate every life because I believe every life matters. So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I want Michaela to have the opportunity to, you know, share with us what, um, what her experience um, has been since that moment in time when God really did um, make himself known and real to her in that prison cell, um, because that's a number of years ago now. And so we want to um, we want to talk about what the journey has been and what life is like now. We're talking with Michaela Munn, uh, along with Linda Gentinko, and we uh, will be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Michaela Mann uh, is here with us today, along with Linda Zanaco. Um, Michaela served six years of um, of what was originally a twelve year prison sentence, um, three years suspended to formal probation, um, because her child died um, in her care after being. Um, born in circumstances that really, as a woman, I have a hard time even imagining, um, Michaela, that you were all alone um, in a dorm with no support. And I'm just sorry for all of the circumstances related to this. I'm sorry that you didn't, you didn't think there was anyone to whom you could turn. And I think that when we're having conversations about being pro-life in the culture today, I want you to help us be pro-life for the Michaela that was then, how, how can those of us who are Christians in the culture today and who are pro-life, how, how can we reach out to women who were desperate in the way that you were desperate um, when you were pregnant? Um, that's a really good question. I know for me, every experience is different, but for mine, I hit it. And it wasn't because 
I didn't trust anybody. It was because I was ashamed of what was done to me. And I thought for the longest time, it was my fault for the sexual abuse, the sexual assault. But when I realized how bad I was hurting and that my actions in turn hurt the people that I loved and affected more than that, I realized that I just couldn't do that anymore. And for the longest time, everybody blamed themselves. My family blamed themselves. My mom, my dad, everybody did. And that was really hard. But the thing was, is I chose those actions because I didn't know what to do. So to answer your question, the best thing you can do is sometimes just show up, just be present. You may not understand, you don't have to, but just to be there and just to say, hey, I care. I love you regardless of what's going on with you. But I have noticed things aren't what they used to be. Is there something that's causing you to be this way? Mm. Just to show up and just be present is the best gift anybody can give. Yeah, I think cultivating the ability to be a safe person to tell, because that's what you're suggesting, is that it's one thing for me to recognize that someone is in a crisis and then to show up and say, hey, um, I'm I'm noticing some things. I'm observing some things. Um, these things have changed. These things are different. Um, can we talk about why? Absolutely. That is? But then I have to be I have to be safe to tell. And so yeah. um, so thank you. Um, thank you for that. Michaela, um, um, since, you know, since the moment in the cell when, you know, God really did show up in a way that for you, um, you know, made the reality of his of his presence and love real for you. Um, it's not as if the um, the subject matter of the conversation has gone away. Um, I'm guessing that there are still people who respond to you. Um, I mean, the, the language that you've used to describe it as, you know, as BK, um, I, I, that grieves me. I know that that moniker, which for those of you who are listening, it's the, it, it's kind of the prison moniker for baby killer. I know that that has to be a haunting, some level of haunting reality, but you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And I'm wondering in terms of walking in newness of life, I mean, with now, with now a real ministry um, in relationship to this, um, I, I'm wondering, you know, how you're feeling and how you're doing and where you're finding community and how your family is responding. And you can answer any or none of those questions that you're comfortable <laughs> with. Well, at first, I wasn't even expecting to come home, honestly. Um, when I got the modification hearing, I thought people were kidding because I just wasn't expecting it. And to be set free on my birthday was amazing. But my family has been nothing but supportive from the beginning. But we've had some really hard conversations. I had to show them that I changed. I couldn't just say it. I had to show it to them. I ruined the trust and the relationship that we we had. But I've noticed that God sometimes tear down tears down the walls that we've built up for years to rebuild us. And that's exactly what he was doing when I was in prison. He was rebuilding me and reshaping me to become the better version of myself for him. And yeah, there's people out here that won't talk to me that used to talk to me before. And that's okay. And I understand that. 
And I understand that relationships have changed, but I also understand that if I don't talk about my biggest mistake, then somebody else might fall into the same pattern that I did and might have the same result. And Monica's doing a great job with the safe haven baby boxes. And Linda mm-hmm. does a great job with he knows your name. But I don't want someone to feel like I did. I don't want mm-hmm. someone to feel lost and confused and feel like there is no way out. There is a way. There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to find it. The darkness may surround you, but joy comes in the morning. We all know that. But we have to get through the darkness first. And I think that was the hardest part for me. It wasn't until COVID hit that I really realized how stuck I was. And once the light started coming through, and once I started spending more time with God and more time with people who were changing, my actions started matching up with what I was doing. And that's exactly what um, we were taught while we were in prison. You know, sometimes you are the only Bible that somebody ever reads. So when someone talks to you or when someone's with you, what do they see? Now, am I perfect all the time? No, there's no way. I still mess up. I still fall victim to sin. But when I do, I go to him and say, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Help me to correct this behavior so that way it does not continue. Because I don't want to fall into the same pitfalls that I used to before, because that's what tripped me up. Mm-hmm. Um, I Amen. used to be a people pleaser. I used to worry about what everybody else was thinking and their values. And if they liked me and I wanted to be accepted, I just wanted to feel that acceptance and feel loved. But the thing is, and you already are, he already loves you. He loved you when he first created you, when he first put you together in, his, in your mother's womb. He loves you. He's the only person that really needs to accept me. And if I can live with that, then I'm okay. And he'll bring people to you that will enhance your life and make it better and will love you the way that you need to be loved, not the way that the world perceives love. Amen. And he's using you as a beautiful, um, redeemed, restored, reshapen, um, reformed representative of his love to others. You're, um, you know, you're a conduit of grace. And so I want to thank you so much, Michaela, for joining us today. Linda, we want to celebrate um, with you as well, the ministry of He Knows Your Name. We're certainly celebrating with Safe Haven Baby Boxes, um, you know, being used uh, with with frequency in, in Indiana and beyond. So I want to encourage folks to check out those ministries as well. You guys can connect with Linda at heknowsyourname.org. Michaela and Linda, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. Blessings. We'll be right back. I see you dressed in Yes, uh, I know. Those of you communicating on the text line that your mind is blown, your heart is encouraged, you're crying, you're reaching out to somebody that you know um, is struggling today because they're known by the worst thing they've ever done. Um, Instead, we want people to know that they are known by God um, who created them for his good purpose and for his deep affection before the foundations of the earth. And there's nothing you've ever done 
um, that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is waiting for you right now, inviting you, wooing you. Um, We still live with the consequences. Michaela bore witness to that. But God can redeem whatever you think is the worst thing you've ever done. Whatever it is that you imagine is unforgivable, God can forgive and God can redeem. He says, come to me. That's the invitation. Just come, just as you are, and I will give you rest. I will give you a new life. I will give you a future filled with hope. I will give you a people. I will give you myself. Just come. That's God's invitation to you today. You are not the sum of the worst things you've ever done. You are a child. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.